Hello, and welcome to the What's Next podcast. My name is Liz Smith, owner of Liz Smith Law, and on this show, I share conversations to investigate building and leaving your legacy, estate planning for young families, supporting aging loved ones and parents, and other topics around aging, death, and other life transitions that will affect each of us. This is your source for hard-to-find resources in Southeast Alaska and beyond. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get each and every episode of our show. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of What's Next. Uh, With me as as my guest today is Stephanie Wheeler. I'm so happy to have you here, Stephanie. And uh, Stephanie oversees the Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program for the state of Alaska. Her role as the state LTC for long-term care ombudsman is to advocate for elders in long-term care facilities and in the community. Prior to her role as the ombudsman, Stephanie previously worked as the chief operating officer for the Ark of Anchorage. With more than 30 years of experience in the human service profession, Stephanie has worked for faith-based community and government organizations. She is a former executive director for the State of Alaska Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives. She is known for her advocacy work and community planning processes with individuals and families facing challenges such as homelessness, poverty, community and reentry, community reentry and disabilities. Stephanie holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Human Services and a Master of Arts degree in Leadership and Management in Human Services with an emphasis on cultural competency from Alaska Pacific University. She is currently a Human Services Board Certified Practitioner, and she earned her PhD in Human Science from Saybrook University in 2019. That's quite the impressive bio, Stephanie. It's so great to have you. Welcome. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here today. Great, great. All right. So to get started, let's just start uh, basic. What in the heck does an ombudsman do? And then more specifically in the long-term care arena. Absolutely. An ombudsman means um, a representative, a representative of the people. And so a long-term care ombudsman, then, um, you know, we we focus on the needs of residents in long-term care facilities. You know, we we, um, support residents and and what guides our work is, you know, the, the focus on residents and understanding what their wishes are. What is it that they want? And so that really guides our work, that guides our investigation processes, that guides how we approach complaints. And so we are there for the residents. We advocate on behalf of residents' rights. One of the things that we like to do is empower residents so that their voices can be heard. And so we educate residents on their rights. Um, in addition to that, we educate the public, we educate family members, we educate legislators, we educate care coordinators on the rights of residents. And so when people ask us what makes us a little different from uh, other um, organizations such as uh, adult protective services or residential licensing or health uh, facilities licensing and certification, we focus on the needs, the wishes, and the wants of the residents. Okay. So you're our, you're in a state agency. Mm-hmm. We're located right. in a state okay. agency um, okay. under the Mental Health Trust Authority within the Department of Revenue. Um, and so, it, you know, most people would think that we're under the Department of Health and Social Services, but this is an opportunity for us to remain a neutral body. Um, because we are visiting long-term care facilities within the state of Alaska, including those skilled nursing facilities and those and uh, residential licensing facilities, um, which are under uh, Department of Health and Social Services. So let's dive in. So you said, I think skilled nursing facilities was the first. Mm-hmm. And how many do we have here in Alaska? We have uh, approximately 20 skilled nursing facilities. In the state of Alaska, um, our charge as uh, the long-term care ombudsman is to visit 
um, all skilled nursing facilities um, every quarter. Um, and, and then there are over uh, nearly 600 um, residential license, licensing facilities across the state of Alaska. And um, we try to visit uh, all of those uh, senior homes, uh, those uh, assisted living homes that have seniors um, ages 60 and over at least once a year. Um, definitely more, but at least once a year because they requires a lot of travel um, to our different regions of the state um, and we're limited with uh, travel uh, funds. And so we have to take a look at our travel budget as we're mapping out a plan um, to visit all of our um, long-term care facilities across the state of Alaska. Okay. And so did, so you're looking at the nursing facility and then assisted living homes as the... Absolutely. Uh, and then, and so what um, we also advocate on behalf of seniors in the community, recently we've been getting uh, numerous calls um, from seniors who are living independently um, and um, are receiving services from in-home care support organizations. And one of the things that's really challenging across our state right now is uh, staffing. Um, so these elders um, are uh, living in their own homes and have supports that help them stay in their own homes. But it's really challenging because right now that you know some you know staff may not show up and so they are concerned about what to do. And if staff aren't showing up two and three days in a row, then that really um, impacts the quality of care of seniors living in their own homes. So um, we're helping uh, seniors living independently to, to resolve some of the, those complaints as well. Okay, which can't be easy if there is no, no easy solution. I know that... Um, especially with the senior care that staffing is hard throughout the state. There are a lot of different aspects. It sounds like that your office handles Stephanie and just for how many people work for the long-term care ombudsman's office. Yeah, I was going to get to this. Um, so it is challenging when you have, um, you know, 600 assisted living facilities, 300 of those are senior homes and then over 20 uh, skilled uh, nursing facilities um, to visit all of those uh, within a year um, as we try to do, but we're a small team of six. Um, this year though, we've added a seventh person, uh, temporary staff, and we've been able to get some additional funding through the CARES Act to add that seventh person on board. And um, so we've been able to do a little bit more with uh, facility visits across the state and, and to do some additional traveling. But I would share with you that, you know, our office would be lost without the help of our many volunteers across the state of Alaska. So, um, you know, last year at this time, we had approximately uh, 70 plus volunteers. Um, that number has decreased due to COVID. Um, and so um, we're probably down to about 45. We just had our um, volunteer training uh, to recruit new um, volunteers and we had eight new members. And so we're really excited about adding new volunteers on to to what we do and to join us um, in this work. Uh, and then our next volunteer training is coming up in January. So we're really looking forward to, to building uh, our, our volunteer uh, volunteers back up. And we're recording this in November, 2021. So uh, you'll hear us talking about, we're well into the pandemic and, um, and that would be January, 2022. And we'll, um, provide some more information about that. What do volunteers do, Stephanie? Oh, when we look um, for volunteers, we uh, really want to uh, make sure that volunteers, um, you know, have the heart for the work. 
of, uh, you know, listening to and talking with seniors and, um, you know, enjoying seniors, uh, our elders company, um, but also looking um, at things with a critical eye because we, they are visiting uh, seniors in their own homes and taking, scanning the environment, observing the environment. Uh, you know, we all want a quality of life and quality of care for seniors in their homes. And so they visit, um, you know, frequently, visit homes frequently on a monthly basis and, um, you know, share their observations with our team and, uh, you know, any complaints they um, uh, have our team take a look at uh, any issues that might come up during their visits. And we work together to try to resolve uh, complaints or issues that, that volunteers might find as they're visiting their uh, seniors in their homes. Okay. So the, the ombudsman, it sounds like address the look at the facilities and then volunteers are going into homes where I'm guessing the caregivers are coming into as well. Yeah, so I will share with you that our um, volunteers and our staff, the main goal is to visit with residents um, and talking with residents and making sure that residents are um, getting their needs met and that they're enjoying their home and that they have a good quality of life. Or if they have any concerns, they bring that to our attention and we try to resolve those. Or if they have any complaints, we move forward with um, investigating those complaints if that's what the senior wants to try to um, resolve those complaints. So we're always meeting the seniors where they are in their home. Um, and again, you know, uh, making sure that their wishes and that we're honoring their wishes and their desires um, as it relates to having a quality of uh, care and quality of life in their in their own homes. But when and you're saying own homes, you mean I call it in the absolutely yeah. Like yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So we're actually recording this when I'm in the midst of uh, of, of helping my mother move into an assisted living home. And so uh, I know I'm aware there's a lot of, they want to make sure it feels like the, it's going to be her new home. And so I see absolutely. that I, I was, yeah. I was missing that, but I get what you're saying. I yeah, absolutely. We, um, we try to look at it that, <clears throat> you know, uh, through the eyes of uh, seniors and what, you know, what it looks like for them in their own homes, so they have their own space. I mean, are they feeling comfortable in their space? And so, yeah, we'll um, interchange facility um, with with home because that's you know how the seniors are looking at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about. You said that you do a lot of education, mm -hmm. and what does that look like? What resources do you have, or is that visiting? Yeah, so um, uh, education, one of the things that we do is um, educate residents and others about their rights. What does that look like? Well, you know, civil rights and just like you and I have, um, because you're in an assistant living home or a skilled nursing facility, facility, those rights do not go away. So we take a look at, um, you know, the residents and privacy, for instance, residents have a right to privacy, um, you know, knock before you enter their room or um, if they're receiving a telephone call, um, you know, no need to stand around and listen to their phone calls. If they're receiving um, mail, um, you don't open their mail. I mean, that's their right. That's their you know, right to privacy. We take a look at educating residents on confidentiality as well um, and their right to information. They have a right to know what's in their care plan. They have a right to participate in their care plan. Um, they have a right to say who can uh, participate with them while they're um, planning their care. Um, they, residents have a right to, you know, to um, the type of food that they want to have in their homes. 
Um, residents have a right to visit with family members, um, with friends um, behind their uh, in their own room behind locked doors if that's what they want. So those rights never go away. Just like you and I have rights, we encourage um, family members and guardians and uh, <laughs> residents and the public to ensure that those residents are um, able to uh, have the same rights that you and I have. Um, so the right to dignity, the right to be treated with respect, all of that should, um, should not disappear because you're living in a facility um, uh, in a skilled nursing facility or a, 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 an assistant living home. Okay. And if someone is listening to this and maybe they're in a facility or they're a family member and they visit and they're concerned that maybe their family member isn't able to have those private conversations or um, something that, you know, if someone wants more information or to explore if rights aren't being taken care of, then this is a good opportunity. What are those steps that they could take? Um, so if, uh, if it's a, a resident who's concerned that their rights aren't being honored, um, they can have a conversation. We encourage them first to have a conversation with the staff who are um, in their home. Um, if they are finding that there's no resolution there, they can always contact our office. Um, our posters are up in every facility or should be up in every facility where residents can access our information um, in skilled nursing facilities and assisted living homes. And then if you know they want if they want to contact us, um, we can work with the, the resident um, and the staff to come to some kind of agreement or uh, try to work with folks to mediate and resolve the issue. Um, and so uh, if it's a family member who's very concerned about the rights of a, a loved one who's in a facility, we encourage them to uh, talk with the facility staff first. If there's no resolution, definitely contact our office as well. Okay. Yeah. And we'll link to your website, which I know there's complaints can be made on the website and we'll provide the contact information. And can you talk some more about when there is a complaint and you're doing that investigation, what that role of your office is, is mm -hmm. how you undertake that? Um, so, you know, it's kind of a sandwich approach. And so we never uh, move forward uh, with an investigation unless the resident wants us to move forward with an investigation uh, of a complaint. So we're... So if I call because my mother, I'm worried about her, then you would actually talk to my mom and make sure she wants, she care, has cares and wants you to take action. Well, yeah, yeah and, and um, or the guardian as well. And so when I talk about the resident, it could be the resident and the resident's guardian together um, and uh, or that uh, significant other with that resident. And so we do definitely want to hear from the resident. Um, what is it that the resident wants? Um, and if the resident says, yes, I am uh, filing a complaint. Um, I'd like to have some resolution to this complaint, then um, we'll follow up with uh, uh, moving forward um, and investigating that complaint. That might look like, you know, talking with other residents in the facility to get their perspective on things or to see if there are other issues. Um, that might look like talking with staff in the facility. Um, to get their perspective on issues. And that might look like uh, talking with a care coordinator or a guardian or an agency on behalf of the resident. We're gonna need, a, of course, a release of information um, to talk with others outside of the uh, facility. Um, and so there are a number of approaches that we take um, if, uh, if, if the, um, and then we go back to the resident and uh, after we do our information gathering um, and chatting with folks and 
exploring some solutions to uh, the issue, we'll go back to the resident to see if the resident, to talk with the resident, to let them know that these are the things that we found out and this is how this issue can possibly be resolved. And then we'll get the input from the resident. And if the resident is okay with, uh, you know, the, the things that we've uh, discussed, then we'll, we'll see that that issue is resolved, resolved to the satisfaction of the resident. And that's what we always want to see, but that doesn't always happen. Um, sometimes the resident may just say, just drop it, it's taking too long, or I want to withdraw the, my complaint because there, there's a you know, real fear of retaliation, um, or uh, the resident has decided to, to move to another facility because uh, they no longer want to be in a facility. So those are kind of the reasons why um, you know, the, the, the complaint is not resolved. But for the most part, um, last year, 97% of our uh, complaints were resolved uh, to the satisfaction of the resident. And that's the outcome that we are always striving for. Are there any examples you can share, obviously on a higher level, but of some resolutions, changes you've seen take place because of, of the work from your office? Oh, um, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to talk about uh, uh, meals. Um, one of, uh, you know, we always like to point out kind of five uh, top complaints and one of those complaints centers around food. Um, <laughs> and so we had an individual in one of our facilities in one of the facilities in Alaska who um, just shared with her, uh, his ombudsman that he just wanted some food from his country. And after the ombudsman explored a little bit more about what type of food they were looking for, um, and where his country, where, you know, what country he was from, um, and, uh, the you know, basically, um, you know, what, what makes him unhappy about his, um, you know, living in the home. And the only thing that he could say was, they, you know, I've asked and I've asked before, and they won't, um, you know, purchase or, or um, cook the type of food that I, I'd like to have, and I don't want it every day. I just want it, you know, from time to time. And so that assistant ombudsman uh, spoke to the staff in the facility, um, and then they all came together to talk about what uh, food that the gentleman wanted to, to see more in the facility. They went grocery shopping together, um, so that the staff could learn the type of food that the gentleman actually wanted. Um, and so that um, after, after they purchased the food, um, you know, the, the, the uh, staff member was able to cook the food and cook a meal centered around the type of food that um, was from his home country um, and shared that with the other residents in that home and everybody was happy. But the ombudsman also called back a month later to make sure that that wasn't the only time that that was happening and to, to speak with the resident to make sure that the resident was, you know, still being um, yeah, happy with uh, the, being involved in the meal planning and the purchasing of the food that he likes. And so oftentimes it's a follow up and making sure that it's just not a one time thing, but. Yes, this is. Uh, and was it continuing? Ongoing. Yeah. So the, I'm needless to say, the gentleman continues to be happy in that particular facility. Yeah. I mean, he was happy before. He just said, you know, I just wish, I just wish. And so, based on his concern, um, that was a simple fix. Um, I'm going to so, ask for another because I think that stories are just the best way to understand what's happening and how it can relate. Uh, but while you're thinking of, of another, what I love about that is that it's just 
it sounds like this situation where the staff were like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Like we can't accommodate you. And then just taking a moment to learn, which I could imagine having another third party come in and help, help with just that out of the box thinking. Yeah. One of the, um, yes, absolutely. And that, that's the joy and the beauty of uh, being an ombudsman. Um, and sometimes it feels like Christmas when things fall into place and, you know, um, everybody's happy. But it can be very challenging. And I'll share um, one of the more challenging situations is we had, um, we worked with uh, a resident who was living in, um a more restricted setting and she just shared that you know I don't think I need to be here I really would like to have my own spot I want to live by myself now and I'm ready I don't uh you know I know that I was here for a reason to get my medical needs attended to but I'm ready to um move into my own spot and so you know talking with the resident um, and then talking with the resident's family, the resident's family was like, well, I'm not so sure because, of course, they felt really comfortable having her in the facility. But the resident continued to call um, several times to say, you know, I uh, am capable of really taking care of my, myself and living in my own place. Um, and because the resident was her own guardian, the uh, deputy ombudsman at the time um, worked um, with everyone involved, um, participated in the care planning session, um, worked with the care coordinator, um, worked with the resident to map out a plan um, to have the resident move into her own spot, her own place. And she was so happy that she could do that. Um, and stayed in her own place. Um, and, you know, every time that, you know, we contact the, that particular resident, um, you know, she just uh, really shared how happy she was to be able to uh, move into her own place, make her own decisions, make her own food, um, and just uh, care for herself. So that's um, one of those stories that um, definitely was challenging, sorry. <laughs> No problem. Um, sounds challenging, but that that you had the the good result. So she sounds very happy. What are some of the other types of complaints that you see commonly? You mentioned food, <laughs> and um, are there other ones that that rise as pretty? Yeah, and so we have our annual report that is. Um, typically on our website and on a, every annual report that we um, create, we're always looking at the top uh, five challenges. And I'm just gonna kind of look through this, uh, our last annual report to, in the, to share what those might be. So we have our uh, top five complaints and um, our assistant living homes. Um, one of those is the quality of care issues. And that was pretty, we heard that a lot this past year. Um, quality of care, meaning, you know, uh, residents weren't um, being uh, showered or bathed in a, in a timely manner. I actually have a story with this one. I visited um, a gentleman who was uh, a World War II veteran and um, got to spend some time about uh, talking with him about his quality of care and his facility. And he shared, you know, I really do like uh, it in this facility. I love the staff. But the only thing is that I'm so used to getting a shower every day. And in this facility, I can only get showered twice a week. So, and we're scheduled to have showers twice a week. And I said, so do you have a concern about that? He said, yeah, well, my, my schedule says that I'm supposed to be sh uh, have a shower on Tuesdays and on Fridays. And today is Friday. And this was late afternoon. And I haven't had my shower yet. And I'm so used to having it in the morning. 
So um, there's concern that was a concern that we were easily able to address and, and fix right on the spot. Um, and so, um, you know, quality of care, meaning um, issues with food. Um, we often hear from residents that they would like to have more fresh, uh, fresh foods, fresh vegetables, um, fresh fruit uh, in their facility. They would like to uh, participate in meal planning so that we, you know, can uh, help not only with meal planning, but help cook the meals because we're able to, to cook meals. Um, you know, issues around uh, getting to doctor's appointments in a, in a timely manner um, or issues around um, visitation. Um, so, you know, this year has been challenging and while facilities are open to visitations, again, um, some facilities still may shut down if there are COVID cases um, in those facilities. Um, another one of those uh, uh, um, complaints is around choices. So uh, helping staff understand um, and respect and honor uh, resident choices can sometimes be challenging because um, from the perspective of the staff, uh, you have a whole house that you're, you know, you have four other residents that you have to think about in your home or if it's a skilled nursing facility, you know, many more um, residents that you're thinking about. But um, residents still should be able to verbalize what their choice is and, and then uh, work with the staff to have uh, their choices honored. Um, and uh, discharge evictions, that's uh, high on the top of the list of complaints. Um, you know, residents sometimes have uh, an issue with, you know, going to another facility, um, choice, whether it's the facility who's initiating the discharge or whether um, there are other issues involved with uh, initiating discharge and evictions. But that's, that's huge um, and, uh, and definitely concerning, especially if residents aren't receiving a 30-day notice um, or being dropped off at the hospital and told that they are not able to come back to the home because of behaviors or because of other reasons. And so we always pay close attention to what those reasons are when it's a facility-initiated discharge. So yeah, so, so uh, definitely, um, you know, kind of those complaints across facilities, uh, those, um, whether it's discharge eviction or quality of care or uh, honoring and respecting residents' rights. Um, uh, um, and then and making faces, which people won't be able to, but just the idea of, of someone being being let go. And I'm, I know lots of not everyone has family to track them and mm -hmm. and really stand up for them. That's clearly where the office comes in. I mean, whether family or not. But anyway, go ahead, Stephanie, with your the list. Yeah. And then um, I think the last um, big complaint is. You know, complaints against outside agencies, whether it's a complaint against the guardian or whether it's a complaint against a state agency that um, where the, you know, someone who's applying for Medicaid um, may not have received their, inform um, their uh, information back uh, in a timely manner. Um, so we're always receiving those complaints and we just follow up um, with either care coordinators or guardians or uh, public assistance or um, other offices to ensure that residents um, are, are their, um, their applications are being followed up on in a timely manner so that they can continue the services that they are receiving. Yeah. I want to shift gears and then and then maybe circle back, but I just want to step back because I think it's just such an interesting role. And and what is the history of 
ombudsman's office. So my understanding, and we'll link, is that there's a long-term care ombudsman in every state. And how how did they start? What was the instigation, if you know? Well, yeah. And so there is um, a state long-term care ombudsman in every state, including um, Puerto Rico and including Washington, D.C., and um, remember what institutionalized care looked like back in the 60s. There were issues going on with um, nursing homes and residents not having the protective care that they needed to have and those issues being uncovered. And so um, definitely uh, some lots of work around how to support residents when, um, or seniors when they are needing more care and having to uh, make sure that they are provided quality care in uh, long-term care settings. And so that work has been consistent and ongoing from the 60s forward um, to the point where there are federal uh, state ombudsmen uh, in every state are mandated um, by federal regulations. Um, and for Alaska, we're also mandated through uh, state regulations. And so, um, yeah, it's just uh, ongoing efforts to make sure that uh, seniors in every state, um, in every long-term care setting has the quality of life and quality of care that they deserve. Yeah. And if someone is close to, if they're getting ready, someone listening to this to look for an assisted living home here in Alaska or really anywhere, mm -hmm. um, or possibly a nursing facility, or if you're helping out family, do you have any uh, tips for how to choose, what questions to ask, what to look for, or even just finding, um, finding places to visit. Mm -hmm. So I would, you know, one of the things that I, I think about all the time is, you know, how tough the transition has to be for seniors who are um, moving into an assisted living home or a skilled nursing facility. And, you know, I always share with family members and loved ones to think about the services that they need, um, number one. Number two, to think about, um, you know, what the resident's wishes are. What is it that they would like to see in an assistant, in a long-term care facility? And then number three, take your loved one to visit the facility that, uh, or several facilities, um, just so that they can get a feel for what those facilities might look like if they can have that opportunity. It's not always presented to um, a resident or a senior, but if at all possible, you know, do some on the ground research by going to several locations. And then, you know, is it a, you know, as you're, you know, exploring or researching, um, you know, long-term care setting for your loved one, look around and see if that facility is a facility that you would stay in personally. Um, so you want to look at the location, you know, is the location close to um, family members, uh, close to friends where you can have family members or friends visiting the facility. Sometimes that's a, a luxury that folks may not have because, you know, our state is, is huge, right? And um, there are some communities that do not have assistant living homes. Um, so for elders in rural community, they may have to look outside of their community to um, go to a uh, assisted living home. Um, and then we ask folks to really uh, explore the environment. What does that environment feel like? 
Is it clean? Is it safe? You know, is it a happy environment? Will the resident have their own room? Where, where, uh, will the senior have housemates? Um, get to talk to, have the uh, senior talk with housemates if, if they're visiting a location and get a feel for whether or not it's a good match for them uh, in terms of having uh, good housemates. Um, and then I would encourage um, family members and the resident to, or the senior to look at uh, the staffing ratio and the staff, are the staff warm and inviting and respectful? Um, and you're not gonna know that by just a one visit. It may take several visits, um, but you can get an idea for how um, other residents are feeling. Do they look happy in that environment? Um, and then um, making sure that the, the staff member is uh, learning about your loved one, you know, learning about the wishes and the likes um, and the dislikes of a loved one, getting to know that person as a unique person. Um, and whether or not uh, the staff in the home understands residents' rights, which is huge right now. Um, you know, what are the visitation policies? Um, you know, is the resident uh, able to have on-site activities if it's a skilled nursing or larger a skilled nursing facility or a larger um, uh, residential uh, facility, assisted living facility? Um, and then, you know, does the home provide transportation? What are the needs of the resident as it relates to transportation? Um, is the facility welcoming to uh, family members. Um, and then uh, just really making sure that the resident and the family members understand the cost of care. Um, what is it going to cost? That's huge. I mean, yeah. folks need to know how much it's gonna cost to be, um, to live in a, a facility. And let me, I want to ask some more about costs. And I just want to pull out some of what you said that I think is really key um, as some of the harder parts, I think, if we're being an advocate for someone. And you said, you know, it might take a couple of visits. So underlying that is that it's okay <laughs> to ask to visit again and to spend time at a facility and that you can ask staff to, you know, talk to other staff members um, is inherent in that. And if you don't take that initiative, I doubt they're going to offer or suggest, not because the facilities, there's nothing wrong on their part, but um, a lot of what you said, Stephanie, has to be to be proactive. So I just wanted to emphasize that for for those family members um, and residents to advocate for yourselves. That's something that I struggle with, even with my attorney background. Is, um, it's, it's not easy sometimes for some of us. Um, it it yeah. certainly isn't. And, you know, it, as uh, you know, people are planning ahead and, and thinking about, um, you know, uh, meeting the, you know, the needs of their loved ones and assisting them through that process, it can be overwhelming sometimes. And, you know, um, folks can call our office and get tips, additional tips on learning how to choose the best uh, home for your loved one as well. So we can spend some time sharing more information. Um, great. Oh, yeah. great. That's a great resource. All right. So cost, the, the big one, especially in Alaska, the, oh my goodness, it's not cheap here. Um, <clears throat> so any, you said, make sure you understand the cost of care. Are there any specific questions that one should ask or any, um, are there hidden <laughs> costs that uh, we should know about, listeners should know about? Yeah, um, 
So cost is huge. I mean, so if uh, your loved one, number one, you want to take a look at the sources of funding and whether or not the loved one has long-term care insurance or whether or not your loved one is a private pay or whether or not um, there are other um, funding sources that are going to cover some of the services and, and support. Um, and that's also according to the type of, you know, is it a private room or um, your loved one wants to, to share a room with, with uh, you know, uh, someone else. Those are all considerations that um, folks need to be aware of. And, um, and it is costly uh, if there aren't other sources of funding. It is a private pay is costly. Definitely costly, um, but there are funding sources that are out there to help others um, to with assisted living, home, uh, skilled nursing facility expenses as well. Uh, and a good resource for that is, um, you know, our our office definitely and ADRC and um, and and others. Um, can uh, help uh, you uncover um, the most beneficial uh, funding source for you based on the information that you provide us. So yeah, we can definitely work with any family member or resident who's looking to explore uh, that as well. Great, great resources. Such good questions to be thinking about early on, if you are going or have family members going into an assisted living home or just preparing to, it's something I talk with clients about all the time. And it's hard when it's, you you know, so many people don't want anything to do with the facility, but then it happens. And um, if you're proactive, um, there's more options, uh, more options that we talk to clients about. So Thank you. Um, all right. I think we're about ready to wrap up. I'm going to ask a couple more questions and see if there's anything you want to add. And I want to circle back now that we have, I'd asked about volunteers early on. It sounds like you're really still looking for volunteers. And now that we have some more background, I just want to circle back. So would a volunteer be if there's a complaint, like you gave the example about the food, is that something that a volunteer could do? Or at what point in that process would they step in? So, you know, we, we, our volunteers um, go through, um, you know, 16 hours of, of training when they're first, um, when we first onboard with them. And then we continue to have uh, monthly trainings with our volunteers. And so volunteers can um, really work through and, and a complaint um, by doing some problem solving on their own if they feel comfortable. Um, I will share with you that one of my first experiences in um, uh, visiting a facility and working on a complaint was uh, like my second month into this role. And a volunteer walked me through that process. And the volunteer had been with us for several years, very comfortable with working to help resolve issues and following up on complaints and mediating. And so volunteers are able to, um, you know, you know, follow through with a complaint process um, as long as they are comfortable. Um, but if they have some uh, concerns that they are not looking at all angles, of course, we are always there to support the volunteer in their role. And so uh, I mentioned that, yes, we're building up our volunteer base again and definitely looking at volunteers across the state of Alaska. Um, because we can use uh, volunteers in almost every region. Um, and so I'm going to just put this special plug out there for Mickey. Mickey Easley is our deputy long-term care ombudsman, and she is our volunteer um, coordinator. 
for our volunteers and has revamped our volunteer program uh, based on our national requirements. Um, and so I would just share if, if you're out there and you're listening and want to be a volunteer, if you have a passion for elders, if you're outgoing, if you're friendly, if you're a creative problem solver, um, and if you have the ability to be observant and non-judgmental, and if you are a good listener and you'd like to be a volunteer and support elders in long-term care facilities, please give us a call. Our number is 907-334-4480 and ask for Mickey Easley. We'd love to have you join our team. Great. What's the time commitment? Um, so great question, because, you know, that's probably the number one question that folks are uh, ask us about volunteers. What is that time commitment? What does that look like? We, um, you know, anywhere from one hour a month uh, to more hours, uh, hours that you would like to, uh, you know, uh, you know, participate in uh, visiting homes. We have volunteers who have obligated themselves to visit a facility once a month. And uh, there are other volunteers who've shared that they can handle two to three homes uh, per month. So it really is up to the volunteer, but we ask that the minimum time uh, that you uh, um, that you commit to is at least one hour a month to volunteer. All right. Is there anything else you want to add that I missed or just something in, in closing? So again, uh, you know, we appreciate the opportunity to talk with uh, all of you out there and just know that um, as we move forward in the state of Alaska, our senior population uh, continues to grow. I think we are around 92,000 seniors across the state of Alaska. Um, and that will continue to increase over the next 10 years. And we always want to ensure that, you know, there are opportunities um, and that uh, quality of life and quality of care for seniors happen um, in Alaska uh, for those who are looking um, to uh, move into long-term care facilities. Um, and so uh, I appreciate being able to talk with you today and feel free to give our office a call. Feel, feel free to email um, us to take a look at our website, um, connect with us on Facebook. Um, we are on social media, so um, feel free to connect us and find us. And we will link. You have an active Facebook page, which is great. Um, so final question. I, I kind of tie this podcast into thinking about transitions in life, which really is just a broad way that I get to have conversations I want to have uh, and share them. But is there a specific piece of advice on any life transition? Uh -oh. It could be related to uh your career that we've been talking about and what you do now. It could be a personal transition. I know we didn't talk about a lot, a lot about your personal life, but um, is there anything that comes to mind that you'd want to share? Around transition? Yeah, any particular life transition. Well, you know, I think um, one of those life transitions as, we, as I'm looking outside and looking at this big snowstorm that we're having in Anchorage and Yesterday we didn't have snow and today we have like, oh, I don't know, four feet of snow. <laughs> it's a lot of snow. It's probably a couple of feet of snow, but um, you know, the transitions of, the, of our weather here in Alaska, of course we love it because it's always beautiful. Um, we have a beautiful summer and then we transition into the fall and then winter. But you know, those are our uh, normal, regular transitions, which we appreciate being here. And so this past, these past 18 months, I would just share that it's been a hard transition for all of us as we've dealt with COVID. And please think about those who have um, passed on because of COVID. 
and those who have really had some challenging times because of COVID. And where I would, and I would say that's all of us because we've had to change the way that we've been doing uh, things and that things weren't, didn't feel normal to, to a, a lot of us. Um, so as we've gone through the process of, you know, helping to educate folks about COVID-19, um, as we ourselves within our office have shared um, uh, our um, safety protocols with our volunteers and continue to practice those uh, safety protocols to mitigate the risk of getting COVID or passing, uh, uh, transmitting COVID to others. Um, you know, we, uh, our field staff are, are vaccinated. We're, you know, we test on a weekly basis. We wear appropriate PPE. We try to physically distance uh, when we're doing uh, facility visits or meeting with residents, but that's not always possible. But we have mitigated those risks by um, wearing masks. Um, and then uh, just as we have trying to get things back and moving on to, to some type of normalcy after experiencing what we've been through with COVID, those are all transitions that our elders have had to face as well. Um, our elders have um, probably been impacted the most across the United States um, and, and catching COVID. And uh, one of the things that we've learned when we started going back into facilities is how COVID impacted the residents um, in facilities. And there's one particular a uh, gentleman shared with me that, you know, one of his friends passed away from COVID and he felt a little guilty because he got COVID, but he was still around. And so he just couldn't help but think about his friend and his friend's family um, and that they were no longer, um, you know, uh, there. Um, but it's been a hardship. It's been a hardship, especially for elders in long-term care especially as, as family members have not been able to visit and they've not, they've not been able to kind of be out in a communal setting or have those social activities happening in long-term care facilities. So think about that. And um, I'm glad that cases are finally trending down. Um, I know that our elders are looking forward to transitioning back to some type of normalcy in their lives. And um, with that said, we're going to continue to be there to support our elders in long-term care settings and uh, try to ensure that, you know, they continue to have a good quality of care, quality of life. Um, that's our work and we love our work. We love what we do. Um, please feel free to, have a conversation with any of our team members or volunteers and um, yeah, we're, we're here to support and serve uh, our, our elders. Yeah. Well, what a place to end really, really. Yeah. Good words. And, and think about people that we might, you know, we don't see out in the grocery store necessarily or on the street. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for this opportunity. Great. Well, thank you. Excited yeah. to share this. And and thank you for your great work as well, Liz. We appreciate you being there and uh, being able to uh, spotlight the long-term care ombudsman in our work. Um, our work is pretty critical. We, I, I would just share, you know, I'd love to thank our partners and and uh, who we work with every single day. Um, those partners include Adult Protective Services and res our, our friends from residential licensing, our friends from uh, health facilities licensing and certification and, um, and, and the public. So thank you for um, helping to provide that safety net for the seniors um, in our communities. Great, yeah. well, our pleasure and thank you so much. That's all for this week. 
You can find show notes for this show and prior episodes and future episodes at lizsmithlaw.com. And if you're interested in scheduling a meeting with us to find out what your next step would be for your estate planning, visit us at bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Again, that's bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Or find the link at lizsmithlaw.com. We look forward to seeing you again right here, same place, same time, two weeks from now. Thank you so much.